Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Actung, actung, and uh, welcome to another episode of our Thanksgiving US podcast specials of We Have Ways. Uh, I'm James Holland, and uh, today I'm talking to veteran Bob Pachetti, um, who is a veteran of the USS El Dorado. He was a radio man, served out in the Pacific um, during the time of the battles of Iwo Jima and Okinawa, and he had an amazing story. Anyway, he's based in Rochester in New York, so this interview was conducted over Zoom, uh, which was pretty impressive for a 98-year-old, I've got to say. Um, And as with all my interviews with veterans, I started by asking him about his childhood. I hope you enjoy it. I was born in Calumet, Pennsylvania. It's a little coal mining town in southwestern Pennsylvania. My dad was a coal miner, and uh, we moved from mine to mine whenever there was work. And so I ended up in a little community called Lemont Furnace. But I was born on April 4th, ni- April 7th, 1922. I, I grew up in these mining towns until 1942, joined the Navy, um, and was sent to Bainbridge, Maryland, and uh, took my boot camp there. And it was a it was a new camp that was being built. And uh, in fact, it was a mess because they they had hardly anything complete but the mess hall and the barracks. And so we, didn't, right. we only stayed there about uh, six weeks, I guess. Normally it was eight weeks, but we no, right. we had no drill hill drill hall. We had no swimming pools. We had uh, nothing hardly to work on. And so they uh, processed our IQs and whatever, and they sent me. Yep. They sent me to radio school in New York City. I spent 16 weeks in New York City going to radio school. And uh, after 16 weeks, if you were able to pass the test of 16 words a minute, you you were. And this is on Morse code, is it? Yes, Morse code. That's right. We, uh, we we did Morse code and uh, theory, and if you were if you passed a 16 word a minute the last two weeks, then you were you were in as a uh, an, like an apprentice. Yeah. So sure. you went in 
they sent they sent me to Norfolk, Virginia, which I had asked for a shore station for the first for my first uh, uh, try, and uh, right. so I was fortunate enough to get into a shore station in Norfolk, Virginia. I spent a whole year in Norfolk, Virginia, and then after a year, they told me I had to go to sea. So they gave me right. they gave me my choices on the ships. I I looked at this one, and uh, this was like April. So I said, this ship's not going to be commissioned till August. I said, that's the one I want. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we commissioned that USS El Dorado in New York City in August. I think it was August 25th of 1944. Right. And so... We took it on shakedown, and uh, mm -hmm. then then we headed down the east coast and come into a hurricane in Norfolk, Virginia, and we had to anchor there for a few days uh, in the hurricane. And then uh, after we left uh, Norfolk, uh, going through Cape Hatteras, I, I got seasick. Oh, dear. And one of the fellows said to me, after I looked over the side, uh, he says, go down and finish your dinner. He says, you'll be all right after this. Well, I never got seasick, <laughs> I did, I never got seasick after that. So, That's amazing. So anyway, Mr. Pachetti, yeah. could, I, could I just ask, could I just rewind a little bit? Yes. And just go back to when you were growing up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, did you did you have brothers and sisters or, or was it just you? Yeah, we, we were 10 of us. We were five brothers wow. and five sisters. And, and are you from Italian descent? Is that is that where, where did you? When did you? My around? dad, my dad came over here in uh, nineteen three, and my mother came here in nineteen three with her parents. My dad, wow. my dad was six, seventeen years older than my mother. He married her. Oh, goodness, she was only fifteen at the time. Today, I guess they no. she he'd be in jail. <laughs> wow! And so, where did they come from? They came from Italy. Uh, Torino di Zangro and it and right. And that's over, Oh, okay, right. Yeah, down in the that's south. That's it. It's over near the Adriatic Sea. That's right. Yeah, down in the south of it. Yes. And, and so and so was Italian spoken in your in your home yeah, when you they, were a kid. They spoke the dialect at that time. And you know, right. when I when I listen to some of the Italians today, I don't even know what they're saying. If they if they're talking a the dialect <laughs> I can understand some of it. <laughs> That's amazing. So Italian was spoken in your house at home, was it? Well, my mother, my mother uh, spoke English. My dad spoke Italian, so I was able to pick right. up uh, the dialect anyway. So if right. I was around Italian people at that time, most of them spoke the dialect, and they didn't speak to it yeah. because this is uh, you know those years uh, long before. The uh, people even went to school, I guess. My right. dad had no school. But I mean, 10 of you, that's a lot. Pardon? That's a big family. Yes. That's a big family. Yes, we were. In fact, uh, most of them are gone now. I have two young sisters. I have one sister mm -hmm. uh, 10 years younger than I am. I'm 98. She's 88. And uh, I have another young sister that's 80. She's 15 years younger. She's 83. So wow. So we were, wow. 
And did you did you all get on? I mean, was it a good childhood or, or, or tough? Well, or a bit no, of we didn't have we didn't have anything. We 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 uh, we had hand me downs most of our life. Right. And uh, we living yeah. in the uh, coal mining communities. It wasn't like living in a city, you know, where you dressed had what we had, and and uh, my mother would patch and patch and patch, and, and by the time it got down to me, or even my younger brother. There was, it was full of patches, the clothes. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's that's the way we lived and were brought up, and that, sure, that, that was good. But but you were quite happy, were you? You were quite happy. It was quite a happy childhood. Yes, we were. We were. We we because we were living in a mining town. You were pretty much all the same. Uh, kids right. were all the same. We played in the streets, uh, and. Uh, even playing baseball, we played without even equipment outside of a bat and a ball, and half of us didn't even have gloves. So, I mean, I, th I think it's amazing because today, you know, America is is such a land of plenty, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, and and I think it's 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 easy to forget that in the 1920s and 1930s, it was a time of depression. And, that's right. You know, times were tough, and and Americans didn't have all the things that that we associate with america today we per, we pretty much grew everything that we ate my wow. we uh, right. living in a mining town my dad always wanted to live at the at the end of the row the last row where they where there was a little bit of land that he could have yeah uh have a garden he uh grew right. his, he grew his own plants he had a hot yeah. bed. he had a hot bed. He grew his own plants. He had us digging, watering, and whatever we could do. My mother canned pretty much everything she could: beans, peas, corn, whatever, whatever we grew, yeah. and that's what we ate uh, through the winter and uh, all the time. But uh, uh, other than that, if you didn't have a garden, you went with. You struggled. They, I saw people go with. with without food for a day or two they just didn't have anything yeah it was tough and there was it was no there was no welfare at that time no and presumably all you children were expected to to pitch in and help weren't you well we we did what we could uh, we we did all of that we could when we were younger and then when when we, uh, the older ones grew they went out to work and that brings part of their money back home to the family to go out and buy meats and whatever groceries, what they potatoes or whatever, uh, a lot of spaghetti. Sure. We ate a lot of spaghetti and beans and, and peas and corn and, and rice. So, <laughs> so that's that's how that was uh, going uh, up. And what about schooling? Well, we were only we were only compelled to go to eighth grade because our 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 school our district didn't have a high school, and the only high school we had was six miles away. And you had to—they didn't have buses in those days. We had to pay for our bus fare. So, when I got out of eighth grade, I was only 13 years old. So I, I couldn't go to high school because I didn't have any money. So there was no money to pay for a bus fare. So I delivered newspapers. And uh, so, what little money I made in my newspapers, we had a fellow the first year we went to school. His daughter was graduated from eighth grade and she was going to high school junior high so he had this big packard 90, brand new 1937 packard uh or 36 packard yeah and uh, he loaded nine of us in that thing for four dollars a month i was able to scrape up four dollars a month and i rode with them for for the year and then the following year i hitchhiked 
we had a, a main highway, Route 40, at that time was a national highway, coast to coast. Sure. And uh, so I'd go up, I'd walk a mile up there and hitchhike. And sometimes I got into school most of the time on time. It, and uh, sometimes when I didn't get in there, they'd penalize me and make me stay over in the afternoon. So right. anyway, I went through four years, graduated from high school in 1940. Oh, good for you. There was no jobs. You couldn't get a job. You go to a place and they tell you, come back when you're 21. And so, right. so uh, I did what I could. I, I helped a man huckster cantaloupes, watermelons. Yep. Right. For like six in the morning to like nine at night for a dollar and a half wow. a day. Dollar and a half a dollar and a half a day. And so can you believe it? So anyway I mean, that's long hours. Pardon? Yes. That's yeah. long hours. Uh he'd go out and get bologna sandwiches and then we could eat the watermelons or cantaloupes or whatever. Uh so so that was my bringing up. And finally, just before I went into the Navy, uh, 1941, I said to my mother, I'm going to join the Army. She wouldn't sign for me at that time. And I'm glad in a way I probably wouldn't gotten home even. I uh, I joined the CCC camps. It was a government. Oh, yes, yes. Remember the, you remember? You remember yeah, the, the Civilian Conservation Corps. Yes. So I signed up for, to go to Arizona because they were building the uh, uh, Roosevelt Canal from from the Colorado River to Phoenix. Right. Uh, I had a cousin that was down there, so I thought, well, I'll go down there. Well, anyway, they sent me to Priest River, Idaho. And uh, this was January, and I, I guess when we got there, there must have been three feet of snow on the ground. And very that. And so... So I spent six months, or not quite six months, uh, after five and a half months, they, 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 uh, you could sign over. So, so what were you doing, kind of sort of forestry and things? We, uh, we were, we were uh, cutting hemlocks to make room for the pines. And so my, my job was after they uh, felled the, the uh, hemlocks, my job was cutting the limbs and burning them because there was like Goodness. two two feet of snow or better on the ground wow. and so we'd build this fire and by the time we got out of there to, at the end of the day it would be burnt down to almost to the ground so right. we did that in the winter time and then in the spring we planted uh, uh, trees uh, new pine trees Right. And those things had to be just planted just right. We had a we had a tool. It was it had a blade about a foot on a blade and a handle. Right. And you drop that blade right into the ground and then you work the blade until you had the uh, roots of that tree straight. It had to be straight. Right. And then you packed it back. And we did this all day long for about planting season and that wow. then just before i left we we worked on the roads at that time it was gravel road up there mm -hmm. and uh the deer my god i'd never see so many deer you had to stop because of the crossing the roads but then, oh, anyway it was a great experience for me 
because yeah. when I went into the Navy, I was adept to that life. It must have made you quite tough, didn't it? I mean, you must have been physically fit and, yes, and, not, and quite you know, not, tough, really. I was adept to that type of life. Yep. So when I went in the Navy, it didn't bother me at all. Like uh, one of the fellows, I, I, yeah. I remember seeing some of the fellows, they'd be seasick and, or homesick and whatever. And I was yeah. that way because I'd already had, gone through that. So it was a little easier for me when I joined the Navy. Right. So how did you, I mean, why, why the Navy? Did you get any choice in the matter? Uh, at that time, when I joined, you had to take... Were you drafted, first of all? You were drafted, were you? No, I wasn't drafted. In fact, right. in fact, I was so close to the draft, I said to my mother, I said, I'm going to join the Navy, I said, because my draft paper is coming up pretty soon. So what happened, uh, when I went to, I had to go to Pittsburgh to take my physical. And at that time, you had, to, you had to be in pretty good physically shape. And so, mm. so I passed the test. And then the recruiter brought us back down, back to Uniontown, which was near Lima, where I lived. And uh, wow. when I got home, I had my draft papers. No. So that's how close I was to the draft, because the uh, that's amazing. The uh, uh, recruiter, when I went back, that he, he he gave us the weekend off, and said we had to be back in Pittsburgh that afternoon on Sunday afternoon, and he was going to pick us up. So. Uh, when he came and picked us up, I said to him, I said, I have these draft papers. He said, throw them away, you're already in. So that's how uh, <laughs> close, close I was to the draft. So wow. anyway, I guess. And do you think you'd have ended up in the in the army if you had if you had been drafted? Yeah, yeah because they, they were taking a lot of them for the for the for Europe at that time, 42, you know, uh, yeah. when they started uh, getting ready for the big, big one over there in uh, Europe. But what was it about the Navy that made you think that's the one for me? Well, I just felt uh, I'd be a little safer on a, on, a, on a ship, even though it wasn't very safe around Okinawa. No, I bet it wasn't. But anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, I uh, joined the Navy and ended up in radio school in Norfolk, Virginia, and then on board the ship. And when we got aboard the ship, uh, we... We, uh, when we got into, after we got to the West Coast, going through the Panama, the uh, sea was very rough on a, from Panama to San Diego. I had a headache for seven days. I didn't get seasick, but I got a headache, this headache for seven days. Right. And finally, one But, but, was, was, sorry to interrupt you, but, but, you know, you've, been, you've lived your life in, in Pennsylvania. Then you've you've gone off to Idaho to work for the CCC. Yeah, but you've never been out of the U.S. I, I don't. I mean, had you ever seen the sea, the the, the ocean before you joined the Navy? I don't no, know. I didn't. But but you're right. So, and then suddenly you're on a boat and you're you're sailing to the far side of the world. I mean, did it feel like an adventure, or or, or did you feel crikey? I'm I'm really a long long way from home here. Well. I don't know. I uh, going through the Panama was was something for me, and uh, then getting over on the West Coast, uh, which you know, like I said, I've never been away from home uh, outside of going to Idaho for CCC camps, and uh, it was it was really an adventure for me because uh, I we uh, went into Vallejo, California, 
uh, in the dry dock because uh, we had broken down a few times and we were getting salt water into into regular water and uh, and this was on the on the El Dorado. Pardon, this was on the El Dorado. Yeah. So when we got into to the west coast, uh, we went into dry dock in Vallejo, which is outside of San Francisco. I had some pretty good I had some pretty good uh, leaves, and uh, one day a few guys and I went to Sacramento to this uh, band that played up there, Tommy Dorsey, Tommy Dorsey. And, uh, so, so when we get, uh, when we got out after the dance, we get on a road to hitchhike back home to uh, Vallejo from San, from Sacramento. I think it was like about 70, 80 miles or something. Right. This big limousine pulls up and uh, picks a whole bunch of us up. And who was it? Tommy Dorsey picked us up. And no. he was on his way to San Francisco. And so he dropped us off in Vallejo. And I said to these guys, I said, you know who that was? I said, that was Tommy Dorsey, the guy that we, I said, well, we, the band that we went to. So this was another experience for me. And so then after we left uh, Vallejo, after the ship was re refinished, we went to Honolulu and we spent Christmas in Honolulu. I think we spent uh, I don't know if we spent uh, Thanksgiving there or, or, or whether it was in Vallejo. I'm not sure. But I know it was Christmas and New Year's. We were in, in Honolulu and Pearl Harbor, I mean. We couldn't get into the harbor because of all the sunken ships. But we were able to get into the uh, area there at the entrance of the harbor across from Hickam Field. And so, so we, uh, we picked up we picked up Admiral Turner, huh, okay. who was the uh, he was he, he was in charge of the two operations, the Iwo Jima and Okinawa yeah. operation. And we were the command ship for the whole operation. Yeah, could I just ask you about the El Dorado? I mean, what what sort of size? Ship, what what is a command ship? What does it? What sort it was, of size is it? It was like a it was like a troop about the size of a troop ship. It was a converted Liberty ship. Huh. When we were in New York, they converted that from from a Liberty ship to a, a ship of war because they doubled the armor of the whole ship. Right. And that's the reason why it was in New York in, in Brooklyn Navy Yard being refitted. Right. And that's why they, they uh, I I waited, had to wait all that time. And did it have any defenses yeah, but, at all? I mean, it must have had some guns on it and things. Oh yeah, we had we had two five-inch guns, one forward and one aft. Mm -hmm. And then we had a lot of 40s and 20s and whatever. Right. And they had to use them. They had to use them at Okinawa. And, and as but a radio anyway, man, what was your what was your what was your station on the ship? I was a I was a radio operator. So so what part of the ship were you in? We were about uh, just about waterline. Oh really? That was where our, our uh, yeah that 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 was where our uh, radio shack was. In fact, we had two two Navajo code talkers aboard. Oh, did you? How interesting. Yeah. And uh, we didn't know what they were aboard for. We couldn't we couldn't get near them or say anything. They didn't speak English. I mean, they, they just spoke in Navajo. That was Amazing. their duty. They were only supposed to talk in Navajo. Two of them went ashore at Iwo that I remember. Uh, I don't remember in Okinawa whether, uh, whether we had to I think they were the same thing because they worked uh, the code uh, uh, which the Japs 
weren't able to break. That's right. Yeah, amazing. And so, your job, you presumably you worked in shifts. Yeah, yeah. We we were like eight on, eight off. Were you okay? And then off, we might be off for like sixteen hours, but mostly it was eight and eight. And what was life uh, like us. on the ship? I mean, you know, were you were you comfortable? Were you well fed? Yeah, well, you you drank coffee. Yeah, a lot of guys smoked cigarettes. Right. At those days, there were a lot of them. Uh, they smoked, they smoked, and drank coffee, and they kept awake at night, especially. Sure. And we we in bunks uh, or hammocks or what? Yeah, we had we had uh, four four tier bunks. Right. Uh, in fact, I I slept up in about third tier because that was nice up there, cool. We'd have the air air coming down out of there, even though it wasn't very good when we were in Okinawa. But anyway, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we we had the bunks we slept in, and uh, we were I don't know if we were uh, our compartment was above the ra- yeah we were above the radio shack I believe. And so, as your job as a, as a radio operator, you're 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 receiving signals and sending signals from the command ship. Is is that what you're doing? I yeah. I all all I did was receive. Right. And a lot of mess a lot of the messages uh, weren't for us. We had a certain code that our our was our message. If it was for us, we would take it out and and give it to the one of the officers, and they would decode it. And presumably you but, just got better and better at that, didn't you? I mean, if you could do 16 words a minute. I uh, I think I, I ended up about 20, 24 or 26 words a minute. Wow, that's going so. Uh, we just get them in characters, you know. Sure. And so I was able to stay, be- stay behind like five, six characters and keep going. Right. Amazing. <laughs> you know, you've, you've heard that so, so often that it just... Uh, you know just what it was. Amazing. So it wasn't too bad. And then, then when I got, I think when I got up to Okinawa, I went and worked with the, one of the officers. We used to go and pick up confidentials ashore, and I'd I'd go with him. He 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 always had a gun on him. Right. I just I just tagged along and uh, picked him up. Right. So that was that was an easy job for me. Sure. So you're crossing the Pacific. You're 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 heading out. You're heading out to. Out of the, the well, Pacific theater. After we picked up the admiral, after we picked up the admiral, we headed out to Guam. Right. And we stopped. At, we stopped at Enewetok. We refueled in Enewetok. And do you know roughly and when that we, was? Sorry to keep interrupting, but but do you know when that was roughly? Around uh, January forty-five. Right. And then we uh, we went uh, we went on a on a uh, mock invasion over to Saipan. Right. Before we went to Iwo, yeah, and uh, then uh, we headed up to Iwo on, I believe it was uh, February. The day we landed in Iwo, I think it was nineteenth. Yeah, uh, I think it was too. If anyway, I'm on my head. Anyway, anyway, we we headed up there before a few days before that, and when we got there, they bombed that island for three days. 24 hours. And if you would have seen the smoke that come off of that island, you couldn't see the island. Right. Because it's tiny, isn't it? You would think there would be nothing alive on that island. No. They didn't realize that they had all these bunkers in there. Right. I I imagine they they felt that uh, they had the bunkers, but uh, they didn't realize they had... The, the the ones that they had there. Sure. So, Mr. Pachetti, do were you? Would you? You know, when you weren't down in your radio station, 
Would you come up and deck and watch and things? Oh yeah, I I I saw him raise the I saw him raise raise that flag that morning. Did you? Twice. Wow. I was on deck at that morning, and I saw him raise that flag twice. In fact, in fact, I had a small picture. Yeah. I was telling Al, I had this small picture that I carried with me for years and years really? in my album. What of Mount Suribaki? And then, and then, because that that picture, they claim it was uh, uh, done Frisco or someplace, but. That picture was taken aboard my ship because I got it from one of the photographers in the, in the photography department. Wow. And, oh, amazing. Uh, so, so I got on the ham radio here in, in the 70s. And uh, at that time, I didn't think much of anything. We didn't, we never talked about any of this stuff. No. Until I got into, until I got on the uh, honor flight here back in 2013. Really? And so... So I uh, I carried that picture. And I, and we got talking about it with some of the ham radio operators that I've worked with. Yeah. And this fellow from Georgia asked me if I'd send it to him. And in those days, you know, we never talked about copies. So I sent it to him. And he never sent it back. I, I, I oh, wrote no. to him later. I wrote, him to, wrote to him years later, and he said he didn't remember I sent that to him. But but just to go back to the beginning of the invasion of of Iwo Jima, it was a hell of a bombardment, wasn't it? That the American Navy gave them, and, and presumably you've got aircraft coming over. And I mean, you know what? I mean, this is your first sight of 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 action, isn't it? Of war, really? Yeah, you know, it was funny because uh, the sea was really uh, it was rough. Was and it? I used to watch these small boats going in with these fellows, and I says, you, I says I feel sorry for you guys some of you are going to make it some of you aren't yeah and so that was that was terrible because they were even they didn't have enough of hospital ships right. or places to take put these wounded guys yeah. so they were bring them they would bring them aboard our ship because we had a real nice sick bay right. and we had some good doctors aboard and i remember seeing some of these guys coming back one of them his face was half half shot out Jesus. And, uh, and one night i even saw saw him take two of them and slide them uh, over over overboard that died on the ship because oh, they had no place to put them so so this is this is what it was like and i it uh, it's very emotional sometimes yeah i bet just just thinking about it well i'm sorry i didn't mean to upset you but i mean you know the 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 scale of the bombardment must have been. I mean, the, well, yeah, the, well, you know, with the sound, the sound must have been absolutely deafening, wasn't it? Not, not only that, I used to stay up at night sometimes when I didn't have duty, and I'd see these sixteen inches going over from these battleships. Wow! And you could see all you could see was a red ball going in through the sky, really? and then and then there would hit on it when it hit on the shore it would just make a big big uh, explosion yeah so we stayed there until they secured the island and uh then we we left we we also had the uh secretary of navy aboard mm -hmm. uh at times 
So we we had a lot of brass aboard our ship, and we were well protected. Sure. We always had battle troops around us and all. So we we were well protected. And Mr. Pachetti, was was it just good fortune that you, you ended up on the El Dorado? What's that? Was it just good fortune that you ended up on the El Dorado? Was that was that just chance, or was there a reason why you ended up on the command ship? Was it was it? I mean, if you're on the command well, ship, that must I, be because you're pretty good at your job. No, I I asked for it, and they gave it to me when I was in Norfolk, Virginia. They asked me, "What do you want? Where do you want to go?" Yeah. And I said to him, "I said I'd like to." They said, "What ship do you want to go on?" And so they gave me a list of these ships. And when I saw this El Dorado was going to be done in uh, August, and uh, this was like in April when they let me go out of Norfolk, so I ended up at Brooklyn Navy Yard, right, uh, waiting for the waiting for the El Dorado. Oh, I see. Okay. And so then I uh, then I ended up in in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Got you. Uh, they sent me up there for amphibious training. So we we had to go up there and fire guns and everything else. Right. A lot of marching, whatever. Yeah, and uh, we didn't we didn't do any of that anyway. But uh, that was part of the amphibious training, right? Because this these were the amphibious. We were in the amphibious forces. Sure. So so Iwo Jima takes five weeks to to, to completely suppress, to completely win there. And so by that stage, it's kind of near the end of March, nineteen forty five, isn't it? After, like I said, after they secured the island, we left. We went back to, uh, I think we went to the Philippines. Oh, right. Lake. We uh, got ready for Okinawa. And so when we went into Okinawa, it was Easter Sunday morning. That's right. It was beautiful morning. Beautiful morning. It was cold, but uh, beautiful sunshine mm. and all. And uh, what they had done, they had made a mock invasion down near Naha prior to that. And they sent a lot of the Japs down there. The area where we went into, they went in with hardly any opposition for the first day or so. Right. Until the Japs, until the Japs found out where we were. And we had a pretty good secure on the island by that time to where the uh, army went south and the Navy uh, Marines went north. Right. And uh, then they started hitting the opposition in the uh, areas where they had their bunkers. But they had a good hold of on the island, and uh, they found out that a lot of these people were told that once we went in there, we were going to kill them. That wasn't true. No. And then he finally, finally found out the, the truth. The the mostly farmers in that area, and uh, in fact, I even have a uh, communique that uh, I picked up from one of the uh, uh, journalists that wrote one day. There were two people uh, dressed, in, they, they come out with their hands up and then they uh, had hand grenades, but they were shot. And then there were two others that come out and uh, they were both dressed in uh, the army of Japanese. And they, they come out with their hands up and one of them was a woman, one was a man. And they wanted to get married. And so they had this uh, Mormon cha uh, chaplain, I guess. He married them. No. And they took them prisoner. They took them prisoner. And that's what they wanted. How amazing. So, How amazing. so there's many, many stories. Because Okinawa was the time of the kamikaze, wasn't it? I mean. Uh, we, we had our, 
problems there. Uh, for for the 30 days that we were in Okinawa, we were under alert every night, and they had to uh, shut off the engines, and uh, they made smoke from fuel oil, hmm. and it was made so that they had like a fog right. to cover the ship, and so that stuff would come into the compartments, and it was really bad sleeping. Oh, I bet. Uh, you had the smell of the soil, and, and uh, so that wasn't very pleasant. And then one night, one night we had these two kamikazes coming in. Really? They come right at us, and uh, our our ship knocked them down with their five-inch gun, I guess. Really? And where were you at this yeah, time? Were you yeah. at your radio station, or were you on? Were you watching? Uh, my, at that time, when I'm when 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 you're on, you're not on duty. You have a station to to uh, so I my station was at one of the fire hoses and one of the uh, air, uh, passageways. You you had to stand on your duty, right? Whether you were hit or not. So if if you were hit, that you know you wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here. But, but anyway, he the other one flew right over us and hit the battleship New Mexico. He had 150 wow. characters. Goodness, he hit a mid hit a midship. Wow. Next morning, next morning when I got up and looked over there in the long glass, it was a mess. Good thing it was above the water line, so so it wasn't too too bad as far as getting the ship uh, back into shape. Although it messed up a lot of guys. And while you're while you're on on board do you, uh, during this battle, I mean, are you getting a sense of what's going on on the island itself? We would just we would just get the through uh, through code. Most, 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 most of our information come from the islands was from journalists, because right. we had a lot of these guys on there. In fact, I got a, I got a bunch of these communiques right. that was that I picked up. I don't know how, where I got them, right. but I, anyway, maybe because of the job I was doing with the officer, mm -hmm. I might have picked these up. I'm not sure, but anyway. I have all these communiques, and I'll tell you, some of them are really something I bet. Uh, to, to listen to some of these guys. And they went through that uh, yeah. just, you know, just the service guys on on the island. Yeah. And a lot of them, a lot of them never made it, like Ernie Pyle. Yeah, yeah. He was aboard. He was aboard there for a while. Oh, was he? What did, then, did you did you get to meet him? No, I didn't. But uh, I knew he was there. Huh. And uh, he went ashore. Uh, to Aishima, and that's where he got killed. Yeah, yeah. That so was he, was, he was one of, he was one of those journalists that was over there. So there were uh, many of them. In fact, in fact, one of them, I can't remember his name now, but he he became a uh, a broadcaster and 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 after the war, after after Iwo Jima, we went to the Philippines, went to Manila. Yeah, and when we got into Manila. My God, we were lucky to get into the harbor because there were so many sunken ships. Really, how extraordinary! Yeah, it was terrible. I'll tell you, there was there wasn't a building. I think there was only one building standing that wasn't hit. It was this one Catholic oh. church over really? in Manila? How amazing! The city was devastated. Yeah, it's yeah. Unbelievable what yeah. they did to those people. Yeah. Yeah, we went ashore quite a bit over in the Philippines because we were waiting for the big one. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad it didn't happen. 
Yeah. So you were you were getting ready to invade the main Japanese yes. islands. We were all we were all we were all anchored and getting ready to to go up to Japan. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So when where were you when the war ended? We were in Manila. You were still there. And can you remember the atomic bombs being dropped? False alarm one night. Right. Yeah, they had all ships were uh, lights gone and everything, and then they told us it was a false alarm. Evidently, it was when they were probably get, going up to get ready, and then then when they uh, did uh, let us know, it was it was really something that they, we had a uh, everybody was happy. So, how yeah. long did you stay in the navy after the war? Well, after after that, they uh, they uh, told us because I had enough points to get out at that time because I was helping support a couple of my sisters at that time. My parents, my parents had died. My dad died in forty one. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, just before the war, and uh, my my mother died in nineteen forty four. Gosh, well, she must have still uh, been pretty young then, wasn't she? Yes, I was only twenty two, twenty three. And how old was your mother at the time? My mother was only 45. My oh. dad was 50, 59 when he died. Gosh. He had uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, oh dearie, that's awful. Yeah, wow. he he only, he only at that time, at that time they didn't even know what, a, uh, they they knew what it was. Mm. It was uh, lateral arterial lateral cirrhosis. That's the one, yeah. So that was before they even knew Lou Gehrig's disease because when yeah. Lou Gehrig died through their net. So he had. But what a, happened to your mother? Was, I mean, she was very young. Well, she uh, she had a bursted bowel. In those days, they didn't have the, they didn't have the medications to take care of it like they do today. It's just like everything else. Like today, you know, you yeah. you take your heart out and put give you new hearts and whatever. Yeah, it's it it was a tougher time then, wasn't it? It was it was a tough tough growing up. Yeah. And uh, because when I came out of the service. I come home to an empty home, really, because oh, my sisters, yeah. I had one sister, the oldest uh, one that took care of the two young ones. She was uh, getting ready for her boyfriend to come home. They were going to get married and go to Cleveland. And I said, what am I going to do here? I don't want to be, I didn't like it down there anyway, because there was nothing there for me. Sure. And, uh, so I didn't have any money mm-hmm. outside of what I, I got uh, my muster now pay. And then I had to, I, uh, wrecked the, the family car that we had, mm-hmm. uh, picking up my sister's husband or boyfriend at that time. And uh, the family, my brother, he lived, uh, the one brother that was at home uh, worked in the coal mines and he, he was exempt from the service. So he let the insurance expire. And so there was, uh, I didn't have anything to fixed the car with. Mm. I had to pay the guy that I ran into. And so that took up pretty much all my money I had. Wow. And so I was, all, all I drew was like the 20, they call it 5220. Mm. You could draw 52 weeks of unemployment for $20 a week at that time. And at that time, it was a lot of money. But anyway, I said, no, I, I'm going to. So my brother, I had this, my oldest brother living up here in New York, in Rochester. He says, come up here and get a job. So I, I always wanted to be a carpenter. And that's what I ended up doing. I enjoyed it for years. Good. And so I, I decided to teach. 
So I taught in the vocational schools for 16 years. Amazing. And I couldn't get the administration to do what I wanted to do with the program. So I says, well, I think it's time for me to just quit, retire, mm -hmm. and uh, go and help people. And that's what I did after that. I didn't. I took my retirement when I was 59 years old, mm -hmm. and I'm still drawing my my retirement from the school. That's amazing. And uh, right now, I don't do I don't do anything with my hands much outside of little odds and ends here in the house, and right. that's about it. Well, Mr. Pachetti, thank you so much for that. Um, thank you for giving me so much of your time. And um, that was just fascinating. It's 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 just so amazing, I think, still, you know, after all these years since the end of World War Two, to kind of hear those eyewitness testimonies. It really is. It's, it's, it's a very uh, it's a great privilege. So thank you very much for your time, especially doing this all the way from, you know, on, on Zoom you. all the way over from the other side of the Atlantic. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Well, thank you very much, all of you, for listening. There are episodes about the United States in World War II all this Thanksgiving week on We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Cheerio.